For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hello everyone, so good to be with you once again as we look at the parable of the talents together. Now there's something in me and you that hates having our time wasted. Take queuing for example. Now as a nation we rather excel at queuing. Uh, it's actually, I would go so far as to say, our national superpower. Uh, the Spanish, they can dance but we'll have our queuing, thank you very much. Now I'm not saying that we like queuing. In fact, I can think of nothing more English than standing at the back of a queue and complaining about the queue. There's something about it that just, just warms our cockles. Uh, now, we are actually fairly good in physical queues, but when it comes to queues, let's say, on the telephone, let's say for customer services, different ballgame. All of our decorum gets flushed down the toilet as soon as we hear, sorry, we are experiencing high call volumes and then the sugar babes come on as the hold music. Now, that's just a few minutes wasted. Imagine if you considered your whole life was wasted. 
no one in the world wants to feel like they've wasted their life. And one of the things that this parable teaches is that whether you or I feel like we're doing well in life or feel like we're not doing so well in life, ultimately, we don't have the final say. Uh, because the Bible teaches consistently that you and I, we weren't made for ourselves. We were made for him. And so he will have the final say. Uh, the best way I can articulate this is kind of if I were to make a watch for myself. Uh, the opinion of the watch kind of means fairly little. The opinion that really matters is that of, well, me, the creator. Why? Because I created the watch. I know the purpose for which I created it. And to the extent that the watch fulfills that purpose, it's the extent to which it's a good watch. But if it doesn't, well, it's not a good watch. And it's kind of like that between us and God which means the extent to which our opinions of our lives line up with how this book says that we should live is really the extent that our opinions will be meaningful. It really is. And so therefore, uh, with the parable of the talents, what we see is what Jesus ultimately considers the, 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 uh, the activity of a life that has been fruitful against the activity, or lack thereof, of a life that has proven to be futile. And while we are looking at lives live well, Jesus, who is widely considered as the most influential man in human history and the greatest life that has ever been lived, is probably a good judge. So we see four things in this parable. We see responsibility, we see reaction, we see reckoning and we see reward. So let's start off by looking at human responsibility before God. And this is what the parable starts off by saying. It says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. The man that we're speaking of is the same person as the master. That is Jesus. That's Jesus. And it says of Jesus that he entrusted to them, that's his servants, his property. And the way he entrusted his servants his property was by giving them talents. Now the word talents is actually a fairly uh, curious word, but suffice to say, it encompasses more than what we would say are a person's talents. Um, it's more than a person, say, can juggle or something. It would include our talents, but it would also include our time, the time that God has given us, uh, the resources, financial or otherwise, that God has given us, and yes, our abilities, whether spiritual or natural. And so in relation to these talents, it says this, it says to one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And this is an important concept for us to understand uh, because God doesn't give everybody the same objectives, opportunities and outcomes. Uh, no, it would seem that God distributes talents in varying measure according to his wisdom, his purpose and his good pleasure. Meaning what God is really looking for is men and women who will oblige and trade with those talents, making good use of them. In the parable, we see two did uh, and one didn't. One actually would bury his talent in the ground. And that person received some pretty severe consequences from Jesus. I don't expect that to be a kind of an easy thing for us sort of modern types to understand. I guess perhaps you would have some questions in relation from, to the parable. You might be asking, 
that guy that buried his talent in the ground received some pretty severe consequences. It's almost like he was treated like he did a really, really bad thing. But surely, surely it's better to do nothing than to do a bad thing. Surely to do a positive act of evil, what we might call commission, is worse than to do neither good nor evil, what we might call omission. That's a really good question, really good. And the way I'd answer that is to say this, to do nothing just as to do a bad thing is still mismanagement of the master's investment. Or to put it another way, bad trees bear bad fruit, but bad trees also bear no fruit. And therefore both receive the same penalty in the end. And you may be reading that parable and think, do you know what? I feel like I would probably be someone that hasn't got many talents. Maybe, you know, they can do that. Someone else can do the other thing. But me, I just think if I were to get involved, it'd probably be, there wouldn't be much outcome. No one would really be helped. And that's the very reason that the parable of talents is in the Bible, to, to help people like you if you feel like that. Ironically, the person that received the least talents felt that they would make the least difference. And he, one with one, buried his talent in the ground. But the, the, the question that the parable of the talents is posing is not so much how many talents do you have or whether you have what. So whether you have one talent ability or five talent ability, the question is how well are you stewarding the talents that God has trusted you with? Because in so doing, you are managing part of God's fortune. And as we are managing part of God's fortune, I guess the next question is, okay, what do we do next? Okay, with this knowledge, how are we supposed to respond to this grace that has been given to us? And the parable helps us with that too. It says this, it says, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded. How are, how are, we, how are we to receive God's grace? How, what are we to do with God's talents that he's given us? We are to go in faith and at once. In faith and at once. This guy basically just got stuck in. He started to help people find their way back to God, as we would say. And the reality is, this guy, he probably didn't know who Melchizedek was. He'd probably never heard of the Jebusites. And nevertheless, he didn't wait till he knew all there was to know about this wonderful book. He got stuck in. Nor, nor did he wait till his life was perfectly kind of in line and all the categories were, were sort of eight or nine out of ten. No, because it says, he who had received five talents went at once and traded with them. What this might look like is he would have got in touch with his local site leader, Stephen Dawson, Dave Brading, Matt Davis, Steve Walford. He would have said, look, where, where can I serve? Where are the gaps? I just want to get stuck in. He didn't wait for someone to tug him on the sleeve and tell him how special he was. No, instead he rolled up his sleeves and showed how servant-hearted he was. It's really important to understand this. And 
let me say this as well. While you are serving, if you are trading, and I use the language of trading because that's what it says in this translation, if you're trading for God, you will make losses. You just will. <laughs> it will happen. It will happen. If you speak to anyone that knows anything about investment, they will say to make, to make gains, that doesn't really come without having first made, at some point, at least a loss. And what I mean by that is you will make mistakes. That will happen. And the people, the two that gave a return for the master, a 100% return, the reality is that they probably made more mistakes than the person that buried his talent in the ground. Now, of course, they didn't make the fatal flaw, of course, but they, they would have made more mistakes. The thing is, they knew the master. They knew he was a gracious master. They knew he was a sort of master that when you fall down flat on your face, that he himself will come to you, pick you up, dust you down, smile and say, go again. They knew the master. And therefore, to make a 100% return doesn't mean a mistake-free existence. To make a 100% return does not mean perfection. You need to hear this. Therefore, there is room for you in God's kingdom. There's room for you in this church to try stuff out and make mistakes. There is. I myself, I've made mistakes. I think by now I've got a master's degree in making mistakes. I have honestly preached some absolute train wrecks. Perhaps you think this is one of them. I remember... A number of years ago, I was speaking on the person of the Holy Spirit one afternoon and I thought it would be a good idea to spray our congregation with a Super Soaker 2000. Holy Spirit! It happened. And that's, that's not to mention the time that I got nearly got the Alpha course shut down accidentally. Uh, I'll stop there. Um, but let me say this, I am not the only one, okay? And I dare you, next time you are around a leader from Emmanuel, ask them, what is the stupidest mistake you have made while leading? You will be encouraged and I think greatly just humoured, if nothing else. I'll give you another one. There is a leader amongst us who shall remain nameless, who thought, who thought it would be a good idea to throw a hard-boiled egg into the congregation, hitting a lady in the nose and drawing blood. Uh, now, I wish the story stopped there, okay? It gets better, because what that same leader did not many days later is threw another hard-boiled egg into the congregation, hitting the same person in the same place with the same result. You can't write this stuff, okay? I'm not making this up. Why do I say that? Why do I say this? I say this because even the very best amongst us is prone to the odd howler or two. So, so don't, let, don't let fear of failure, don't let fear of making mistakes rob you of godly ambition. Don't let it. Shake it off. Don't let it. Because one thing that we learn from this parable is that God would rather players, not passengers, passion, not passivity, courage, not cowardice, ambition, not apathy. 
And as a church, we have ambition. We, we want to see God transform this city, one of the most secular cities in the United Kingdom. And while we're at it, we're planting churches across Europe and preaching the gospel and trusting that the whole continent will come under the obedience of the gospel. The whole continent would know the joy, the peace, the riches of Jesus Christ. Friends, we have ambition. And therefore, we need our churches full of men and women with godly ambition. We need our churches full of men and women that take this parable seriously. We need our churches full of men and women that hold God to his promises in prayer. We need our churches full of men and women who are not afraid of making mistakes. Dear friend, is that you? Is that you? Do you ever allow yourself to, to dream unfettered for God? Forget about money, forget about time. What would you love God to do with your life? What would you love to see God use you for? Do you ever ask the question, if I could change one thing in this city permanently, what would it be? What's hindering you? What's stopping you from serving the master? Is it, is it a fear of failure, fear of getting it wrong? Or is it a sin thing? Is it an area of weakness? Perhaps you disqualify yourself. You think, do you know what? I would love to do this, but I shouldn't. I can't because this thing is in my life. Well, I tell you, this is what it says. It says, he who received the five talents came forward, came forward. Perhaps it's time for you to come forward and serve the master. So that is the response to the uh, responsibility. Now let's look at the reckoning. And this is what it says. It says, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Settled accounts. What this is referring to is the judgment. And every human being who has ever lived will have to stand before Jesus, the judge, at the end of human history. That will happen. Uh, and to be honest, we don't know lots and lots and lots about the judgment, but we do know a few key things. One of the things we do know is that everyone will have to give an account for their lives. And what that means is basically you'll have to explain to Jesus why you decided to live the way you did. And so what we see really in the second half of the parable of the talents is we see really three scenes of judgment. Uh, we see one person in particular even giving an account for their life, giving a reason that they have lived the way they did. And that's the man that buried his talent in the ground. And this is what he says to Jesus. This is his reasoning for why he lived the way he did. He says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. This man... Essentially, what's going on here is he's saying, the reason for my poor performance here is that the reason that I decided not to help people find their way back to God is because it's your fault. He's blaming God. He's blaming Jesus here. He's saying, basically, you're a hard man, so I just thought best not to. He says he was afraid. And, and Jesus, he... He, he, he would go with him just a little bit. And to paraphrase what Jesus says, he says something like this. He says, so you considered me to be a hard man, did you? Ungracious, unmerciful, unkind. You considered that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. 
Is that what you think I'm like? Okay, well, let's go with it. If you really believe that, if you really believe that about me, then why on earth didn't you put my investment in a bank? That at least then it would have got some interest. Silence. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid. It was an excuse. The, the problem was that he wasn't afraid of the master. He didn't have that reverent, appropriate awe of Jesus in his life. He just didn't. That was the problem. Jesus isn't buying it. And, and he gives the true reason, the real reason, the real assessment. Why did he live his life like that? And, and Jesus, he doesn't mince his words. He says this, you wicked and slothful servant. The truth is he... The reason he didn't help out, he was just, he was basically just lazy. Lazy to the interests of the master anyway. Probably not at all lazy to his own interests. He probably lived a fairly fulfilled life in one sense, a very fairly full life. And maybe he even accomplished some of his objectives. But the reality is he never stopped to consider just how fulfilling it might be to serve the one that he was made for. He never once understood what the most important thing on planet Earth was. Therefore, he never discovered who God wanted him to be. He missed out on the things that God uniquely called him to do. Uh, therefore, he settled in his life for less. He settled for less. So what does Jesus think of lives lived like this? Life wasted. Life wasted and he, he takes immediate action at the judgment. It says he casts the slothful man into a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping representing never-ending sorrow. Gnashing of teeth representing unrelenting agony. It wasn't a slap on the wrist. Lives live without serving Jesus as master is a serious offence to the master. But now we come to look at the reward. And this is where the true servants of the master were keen to show him their uh, grace-empowered gains. And I love this. You, you can almost hear the excitement in the voice of the servant here. He says this, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made you two talents more. He's excited. And the truth is, for those that believe in Jesus and, and, and follow him in their lives, the judgment isn't this sort of scary, oppressive thing. Actually, it's a judgment of reward. It's something to look forward to, to meet Jesus face to face. And you can hear that in what he says. Also, this isn't a, a works thing. He's not saying, oh, I've delivered two talents more. Look how good I am. I deserve to go into heaven. This isn't an earning your own salvation. This isn't a morality thing because you can see from how he speaks, he says, Master, you delivered to me two talents. You delivered to me. He understands that the only reason he was able to do what he did was because he first was able to receive grace from Jesus. This guy gets it. And Jesus, well, he's over the moon with him. He's over the moon. Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. And I just don't want us to rush past this. 
because I can honestly not think of anything in the universe greater than this scene that we've just seen. Let me just invite you just to close your eyes just for a moment with me. Just imagine yourself standing before Jesus at your judgment. The one standing before the one through whom you were made. And he puts his pierced hand on your shoulder. And he looks at you in the eye. And you just consider your life, all of the highs, the lows, the wins, the losses, the sufferings, all that's happened. And Jesus looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. I tell you, there's nothing better than that. There is nothing. Wouldn't it be worth just living your whole life just to hear these words? But he doesn't stop there, the master. Jesus doesn't stop there. <laughs> he would go over the top. He would go over his great commendation and say, now, now I will set you over much. Enter into joy. These don't sound like the words of a, a hard man to me. They sound like the words of a happy man. And you, you can know the, the joy of God the Father through Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ knew the judgment of God the Father through the cross. God the Father became a hard man to his son Jesus so that God the Father would never be a hard man to you. Never. Jesus the true good and faithful servant for our sake became the suffering servant on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could know the kindness of a father in heaven. In the parable, we see that the talent was taken away from the slothful and given to the faithful. How good then that at the cross, the talent was taken away from the faithful and distributed to the slothful. People like me and you. In the parable, the man hid his talent in the ground. What a waste. But as Jesus was taken down from the cross, he too hid in the ground. The most talented man in history, buried. But this talent buried and then raised up would bring forth infinite returns. The only time a talent buried brings forth a return with Jesus. And by returns, I mean many people would find their way back to God. Many people. Uh, we want to give you an opportunity to get to know this, not a hard man, but a happy man, a marvellous master, a great saviour.